This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Keith Baker. And I'm Wayne Chang. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. And Wayne, it's it's good. It's like recurring now that you're yes. joining us on the episode. I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I think the, the, the planets have aligned and and uh, the wizard the wizard on the coast has said you know you're allowed to to, to enter uh, in, enter the podcast world again i think dalk war is, is uh, coterminous <laughs> the truth is we we bound you to a kyber shard oh there and, you are and you're not that's, leaving that's where that rash was coming from that's exactly <laughs> it so uh in this episode uh we this is this is pretty exciting actually <laughs> we uh we welcome eberron into 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons with the release of Keith's Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. Yay! And so as this episode drops, it is the day of the release, and uh, we're going to spend the episode talking about it. So uh, the obvious thing to start with is, (laughs) okay, Keith, (laughs) tell us (laughs) of what is the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. Oh, boy. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I will say I've been working on this for months, and, and of course, I've wanted to talk all about it, so it is extremely exciting uh, to finally be able to talk about it. And what the, the Wayfinder's Guide uh, to Eberron is, it's funny because in many ways what it is is our goals with Manifest Zone where we said with Manifest Zone at the beginning, this is going to be about trying to introduce people to the world and sharing sort of the critical themes and and our takes on them. Uh, The Wayfinder's Guide isn't a traditional source book. It's not just an encyclopedic listing of all the countries and all the groups and all the things. The goal of it very much is to introduce someone to the setting uh, both by going through the critical themes, uh, you know, the elements of pulp adventure, uh, the neo-noir influence, uh, you know, themes of things like magic in the world and the impact of the last war, to, you know, really sort of explain what is this about and how does it actually come out at your table, um, while also giving sort of what you need, you know, giving you everything you need to know to make sort of interesting characters to develop Eberron stories uh, and potentially at the end to jump into Sharn and run around and do something. Uh, A critical point of it, as I said, it's not a traditional source book. It is also very much, this is my vision of Eberron. Uh, We do introduce uh, races. We do introduce a take on the dragon marks. Uh, These are all what I'm doing. Because I'm running three Eberron campaigns right now, and this is how I do it. It's very much, it's essentially a really giant Unearthed Arcana article. Uh, so this this is not uh, 100% official. Uh, it is certainly my hope that we will see an official Eberron book, but this is stuff for people to try and see what they like. And, you know, I always say that Eberron is something that should inspire you, not limit you. And that's very much this book is, you know, as with any source book, this is something where take the parts of this that inspire you to tell stories. But if there's something you don't like, change it around. 
Right. Just like anything with Ebron. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's probably one or two tiny spots where, you know, I may clash with something in a previous canon source. But as I said, this is what I do uh, <laughs> at my table. If you look really carefully, you'll find mm -hmm. the, the, the reason for the Mornland. Yeah. That, well, I mean, very, very carefully. <laughs> that's no, just in the centerfold. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So this is this is a very substantial book. I mean, we're looking at about what what is it, 160 pages? About that, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't have the the uh, as we talk, I don't have the final version uh, in my hand, but it is right around that. And right. yeah, it it's quite a lot ended up going in there. Right. Um, you know, again, it's basically an exploration of the themes, a quick explanation of Corvair very much from that view of what does it mean for players? You know, if you're from the shadow marches, what kind of characters can you make? What's interesting about being from the shadow marches? Uh, and then big section on races, big section on dragon marks, some common magic items and sort of a look at some of the unique items of Eberron and then a big old section on charm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, um, there's some great, sort of role-playing guidance in throughout this book as well. Um, so for example, I'm, I'm looking at the neo-noir section and, uh, you have a table for like regrets, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. <laughs> this is, this is really good food for anyone who's looking to sort of, uh, uh just, just get a, a jumping point for ideas for their characters or even for non-player characters, um, and, and, and get inspiration from. And, and that's very much the idea. It's something that is useful for both DMs and players, but very much sort of player forward. You know, we don't reveal a lot of the deep secrets. Uh, and, and throughout it, what we've tried to do uh, is when we're saying something like, okay, this is what a noir adventure is like, throw something in there that is very concrete and is, you know, as you said, here's a table of regrets because characters have regrets. Can't think of any. Here's a bunch of ideas, you know, uh, just sort of to, you know, in looking at, at the sort of theme of pulp adventure, you know, one of the things I do there is talk about one of just, again, the things I do at my table of providing environmental elements to sort of give people some scenery to chew on. Uh, so that if you're in the tavern, it occurs to you that you could swing on a chandelier or knock someone through a plate glass window. <laughs> and and sort of throughout the book, whenever there's a theme, I try to come up with, and this is a concrete way you can actually do something with that mm -hmm. um, to make it, again, more engaging. I mean, we, we've had the opportunity, obviously, to, to look at this before um, mm -hmm. we've gotten to kind of the final version. And yeah, have you looked at the playtesters credits? Because I think you're all on them. Oh man! Yes, I, oh. <laughs> Keith, how about thank this? you for that. By the way, yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it actually it's it's been a huge honor. Um, you know, as everybody it knows, we, we love terrible. that setting. It would have been terrible if I had to actually continue to do this uh, with you month after month and had not been able <laughs> to uh, use you all as playtesters. So thank you so much for all your insights. Uh, I really have appreciated it. How about some background, Keith? How did how did this all come about? I mean, obviously we've we we in the Eberron community have, have wanted to have this. Mm -hmm. um, we've we wanted to have this like for a while now. Um, how well, did it start? I mean, start? I can't I can't explain uh, now. When you say how did it start, do you mean Eberron itself, or do you mean this? Book? No, no, this this specific the Wayfarer's I mean, Guide. This 
this is something that I have been talking with the powers that be at Wizards um, for uh, since before fifth edition was even released. You know, I'm constantly uh, just always saying, you know, is there any chance? Uh, what are we going to do? So I've been pestering them year after year. You know, every every year at Gen Con, I would corner, uh, you know, Jeremy Crawford and and say, so how about that, Eberron? Um, and you I'm, know, I'm imagining because, Jeremy like ducking behind booths every time he oh, spots yeah. you. Oh yeah, yeah. He, you know, he's he's his stealth check is good. I'm just <laughs> um and and it's always been. I mean, one of the things that has always been a bit of a stumbling block, I think, is this idea of uh, the multiverse is connected, and that's tricky because Eberron is so different from you know it has its own cosmology and you know this is something i can talk about because a lot of people out there may be curious if you haven't picked it up yet uh you know a big concern lots of people have is how is this being crammed into the multiverse and the basic thing that that i proposed that was a sort of no this this can work fine is one of the things is that eberron has always been part of the multiverse if you go back to the 3.5 uh campaign setting and look at it the whole point is that the planes of eberron are like a little solar system around eberron's material plane but the astral and the ethereal on this plane of shadow are around that uh, and so it's always been this sort of idea that Eberron is its own little piece. You know, again, it is a solar system and the Great Wheel is another solar system, but that they're both out there in space, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so what I suggest in the Wayfinder's Guide is basically if you want to connect them, go through the deep ethereal. Uh, but what I sort of say is if you're gonna, I personally would play it as this is new. This is a big thing. You know, this isn't like, oh, there's constant casual contact between the settings uh, because Eberron isn't built with that in mind. And it is different. Uh, But I certainly think there's lots of interesting stories you could do if, you know, some threat from beyond uh, Eberron does show up for the very first time. Like one of the things I like to sort of suggest is, uh, you know, take the orcs. One of the reasons Eberron is different is because you can say, yeah, there, you've got orcs, they've got orcs. But in Eberron, there is no Groomsh. You know, they aren't driven by an evil god. So, hey, this is what orcs look like without that. And that raises the question of if you if Groomsh suddenly stuck his head in, what happens? You know, and personally, it's not something I'm particularly inclined to explore. I think Eberron is just great the way it is. But again, that's the point. We, we look at it, we offer the option, we say it is possible to reach through these, uh, but, but you don't have to. It's not forced in. The way I look at it, I like to think that the progenitors, uh, Sybaris, Kyber, and Eberron, you know, we have this myth that they made the world. And I personally lean towards that it is a myth, that it's metaphorical. But... If you said there were three powerful entities, you know, cosmic entities uh, who did create the planes of Eberron, create this system, uh, the idea that they specifically did create it sort of walled off and separate from uh, the Great Wheel and, you know, the petty gods of other settings mm-hmm. and that uh, that the Ring of Sybaris itself might be essentially a ward 
that is keeping Eberron sealed away from the rest of the multiverse. But shards fall, and you know, if you want to explore that idea, you can explore it as, again, the barriers are weakening and contact is possible. But again, the most critical piece of this is this is a way that you could connect them. And to me, as I said, I think that was the critical piece in saying, okay, let's go forward with Eberron and 5e is there is a way to connect them. And it's not that we are just automatically connecting them and suddenly everybody has to deal with Grumsh and Eberron. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's actually somewhat helpful because I, I remember some of the struggles in 3.5 when you had adventures for other settings. People would try to retranslate the adventure, um, you know, like, well, we don't have this deity. We don't have that, you know, right. whatever it might be. This allows people to take some of the 5e adventures that are already existing and, you know, maybe even just more easily bring them sure. in. And And that's just the point is it just it leaves it up to the individual game master. If mm-hmm. you would rather keep Eberron pristine, you come up with a way to translate it. If you don't particularly care, you could bring it in like that. And and that comes back to, again, one of our central themes of Eberron of, of it's up to you. You know, this is a starting point. It's not something where you have to play it our way. And uh, as I said, cosmologically, it's always been there that, you know, the ethereal connects everything. Um, and this is just adding that possibility that if you want to go there, uh, you can. I mean, if you look at the back of, of any of those, uh, um, any of the, the storylines uh, that have been put out the last few years, it, it, there's always an Eberron translation. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that this has ever been away, but now it's sort of like there's there's a lot of exciting things i I know that i think we've even mentioned on the previous uh some previous uh, podcasts it's just like well keith Mm -hmm. if ebron became released you know (laughs) what do you have in store for us and uh exactly i I have a feeling you have a bunch of things connected to to this release (laughs) yeah i know well i certainly have a lot of things i'd love to write and and that's basically the question of it's all about time is is now that it is actually in the dm's guild you know, the thing is, is that there's a lot of things I'd love to write that I don't think would ever end up getting written as official books. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very excited to have a chance to at least write unofficial. Uh, and so to me, it's more of just a, where do I start? You know, I mean, I'd love to write about uh, the Takani Goblins. I'd love to write more about Droam. I definitely would love to write about the Plains. Um, and, you know, that's just tip of the iceberg. Um so I will say I'm probably going to post a poll on on my Patreon uh, to to see what people are most interested in. Um, but yeah, I certainly have have you know I have been waiting literally seven years or something to be able to to write, and frankly, I've been waiting 14 years to write about the planes. So I'm very excited to have the opportunity. Oh man, planes of Vibran. I've been waiting for that one. That's, yeah. yeah. And and I got to say, I got lots of ideas I'm pretty excited about. Um, going back to the, the guide itself, you know, I do think there's some things where coming back to saying this is a book, you know, it's interesting writing because, again, this is a book that isn't just regurgitating what you get in the third and fourth so, uh, source books, campaign setting books, because you do have those. And there is a big appendix that's like, if you're looking for more on Sharn, you can get Sharn City of Towers on the um, uh, the DM's Guild. And so it's not 
trying to just retell what we had before. And so one of the interesting things I enjoyed uh, was writing about the religions. And again, uh, everything in here is, is pretty short and it's pretty much an overview. But rather than just essentially give the same description that you have in the other two source books, uh, what I tried to do was start it off from the perspective of what does this mean to you? If you follow the silver flame, what are the practical, this is what you should try to be doing as a person, you know? And, and so it is, as I said, just a slightly different take of, you know, and that's something that a DM can apply to an NPC as easily as a, as a player can, uh, but trying to look to these things from, you know, if you're from Ondaer, I'm not going to tell you about all the cities of Ondaer. I'm not going to tell you too much about its history, but I am going to tell you, here's some things you should think about if your character comes mm -hmm. from Ondaer. Um, and, and one of the things I like is, in fact, this, uh, specifically that one where it's sort of suggesting, hey, see if you can't like use a cantrip instead of a... a um, yeah, instead of a bow, because for goodness sakes, you know, it's almost the uh, 11th century and you're still launching sticks of wood at people. It's pathetic. So. Yeah. Right. More civilized approach. Right. Yeah, I, think, exactly. um, I really love that section actually. Like oh, I, I got a chance to scan through that and it's just, mm -hmm. you know, there's, it wasn't the, we know because we've played and we've read and, and whatnot, but someone who was coming in, those those characters, those characteristics were like this wonderful little section was just like, you know what? Why are why are you using your hands when you can use a mage hand? I'm just actually yeah. quoting from the book here. I yeah, like yeah. that I have this in front of me. Oh, mm -hmm. who still uses a bow when you can use a wand, you know? Yep. You know, we're days away from the eleventh century. Are you still like that <laughs> that quote I, I, I literally I read that today and um, my my office mate was just like, "What are you laughing at?" And I'm just like, "This is this is so appropriate." And and well, yeah, I mean, it's just it's an anecdote. It's an anecdote about a fictional thing, but that gives you such a, a such a great way to to get across this feeling that uh, we've had to develop over like 10, 20, not twenty years, but like 10, 15 years, right? I, I will say that there are a lot of sections where I'd write it and then I'd be like, I want to play this character. And, <laughs> right. and so I always, when, when I had that feeling, I'm like, okay, okay, this, this section probably works. I mean, I will say one of the changes and, you know, change is a strong word, but evolutions uh, that is in this, that, uh, that is because this is how things evolve with systems is I've played up the idea of the wand slinger. Uh, I saw who that. I first yeah. talked about on my website, actually. Mm -hmm. And it's specifically because I always liked the idea that like, oh, you know, the uh, you got the, the Andarian duelist packing a bandolier of wands. Uh, but the problem is in third edition, you know, a wand is a powerful, expensive magic item. It's not like the average soldier should be carrying a wand and plus you use it and it's done. And we introduced the eternal wand as a bit of that idea. But even that, it's a 750 gold piece, you know, item. It's not a trivial thing for someone uh, to have. But fifth edition, in introducing both uh, a wider range of casual ca uh, offensive cantrips, cantrips that do damage, uh, to more classes and the magic initiate feat, which means anybody could pick up a couple cantrips. Uh, mm -hmm. It allows the idea of, you know, what I've said is that a wand slinger is like a variation of a mage right. A mage right is a casual spell user. They know a couple cantrips. They know a couple spells, which they can probably only perform as rituals. 
the mage right knows a couple and excuse me the wandslinger knows a couple of cantrips that are attack spells maybe an actual spell but they have to use an arcane focus to do it and this again is calling out that player characters are pretty remarkable you know you can use an arcane focus but you can just point and you know point and shoot uh whereas the average if you will you know arcaneer uh is actually trained specifically to use a staff or a wand and one of the big things i'll say is one of the campaigns i've been running is a campaign set in Kabara, uh, which has a lot of a Western feel. And having wands and rods in there has really helped, you know, a lot of people bemoaning that that Eberron doesn't have firearms. But the the wand as a weapon, even though again it is not inherent to the wand, it's channeling the, the spell known by the person, really helps actually get some of that flavor across. And you yeah. get that point of the Andarian who does have his bandolier of wands and the Thrain who's still using a bow, and they can have that argument. Um, so I'm very happy with both, again, the in concept and having played with it at my table, uh, the degree to which this actually captures a little more of that everyday magic that actually we didn't have in third edition. Um, so, you know, again, that's a tiny little bit that is in there. And of course, like everything else, if you don't like it, eh, just don't have wandslingers in your game, you know, no <laughs> one's stopping you. Um, and, and who knows if it'll be in the, the official, you know, if there is an official thing, who knows uh, if it'll make the cut, but I'm very curious to see what people think about it and how people use it but i've been enjoying it yeah i'm actually looking forward to checking that out because i i i've seen a lot of those conversations online about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh you know uh, you know uh, firearms make sense in everyone and i'm like no why would you use firearms when you have magic like doesn't well and, make sense and at all one of, and, one and of yeah one's yeah. the way they even work mechanically it's like it works like a gun you know? now one of the things that i've done as an optional rule because again this is all about trying things out so what i've done as an optional rule is once you say okay arcane focuses are sort of like weapons then i wanted to have some of the choices that go with choosing a weapon And so one of the things I instituted was saying that if you use a arcane focus in two hands, so a staff or a rod, uh, that you, if you cast a cantrip, uh, an an aggressive cantrip, uh, you increase the range by 50%. And the point of that is to give a little feel of the wand as sidearm versus the staff as rifle. That uh, that there is a practical difference uh, that is, again, similar to using a one-handed weapon or a two-handed weapon. You know, there is, you are sacrificing a hand to get a slight advantage. And in this case, it's not damage, uh, but it still makes that a choice. And as I said, in my Kabara campaign, it's always sort of fun to have the guy with the, the, the rod slapped over his back uh, <laughs> and feel like there's a reason to do that other than just color. Um, and then I also, in the common magic item section, do add um, uh, add sort of a, a little variety of sort of arcane focuses that have a little effect, you know, less than a wand of the war mage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, this is plus one damage if you're casting a fire damage spell. And so it's just a little thing, but it's that little way that you can be like, oh, my guy's got a wand of Fernian ash. And, you know, it's just, again, getting a little of that gunslingery 
uh, you know, ooh, he's carrying a, you know, a Mabarin uh, birch. I forget what Mabarin is, uh, you know, and that also means you're like, ooh, so he's going to be using necromancy, you know, uh, so it adds a little sort of color to the person who, yeah. who knows what they're looking mm-hmm. for. Indeed. Um, Indeed. And, and so, as I say, that was a, a fun little way to, again, take that concept of wands as a thing with a stronger place in the setting, uh, but to then add a little bit of actual sort of interesting choice to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I think we should probably talk about is dragon marks. Yeah, uh, I was just, I was literally going to mention that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> dragon Keith is marks now going all. to uh, read out the entire section uh, word for no. word. So that was an audio <laughs> Which book. is huge. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's huge. Well, and, and, and before you get started on that, cause, cause I know people are going to be asking questions like, you know, are we going to see X? Are we going to see Y? Are we going to see Z? So just to clarify, we're going to see races. You're going to see dragon marks. You're going to see uh, all the details, or not details, but at least a little bit of information about every single location, you know, geographically speaking, uh, that's that's in this setting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You're going to see magic items. You're going to see Warforged components. So those, those things are present, just so you know. Right, Warforged components and Dragon Mark focus items were two mm-hmm. things that I'm like, well, you gotta have at least some of these, you know, if only to set the example. Right. You know, so a lot of this is this is the kind of thing that can be there, so you can make up your own. Right. Um, so, so yeah. So with that in mind, uh, Dragon Marks. Let's let's uh, talk so a little bit about Dragon that. Marks have been a very difficult decision on how to represent them. Do you do them as a feat? Do you do them as some form of background? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of thoughts and the things to me, uh, and I'll note, this was something I, uh, spent a lot of time discussing with Rudy Rutenberg to, uh, to give a shout out to Rudy. Um, and the thing was that I wanted people to be able to have a dragon mark at first level. Uh, I wanted a dragon mark to be something that makes you better at a particular thing. Because that's sort of part of the idea of the dragon marks is that if I've got the mark of making, I am just a little bit better at uh, crafting. And that may be because the mark enhances my instincts. It may be because the mark itself, I always like to think of it as you're just using it in minor little ways. You know, it's like a sort of form of mage crafting. You know, there's just little effects that we aren't sort of specifying, but you are using the mark you know, in some way to help you do things. But, you know, so I still wanted that Kenneth should be better at crafting than people in general. Um, and so feats didn't work because not everybody can have a feat. And you could have done the get a free feat, but that gets complicated. Um, and I didn't want it to be backgrounds for both the fact that backgrounds don't normally provide a concrete benefit. And I wanted it to provide a concrete benefit. Um, but also because, um, I want backgrounds as a separate thing and we'll come back to that. Uh, so what Rudy and I ended up, uh, coming up with, you know, after lots of talks and lots of talks with lots of people, uh, was the idea that they would be essentially sub races, so that instead of being a wood elf or a high elf, you're a dragon marked elf. Uh, and in some cases, these literally take the place of subraces on races that don't normally have subraces, like half elves, humans. Uh, they are basically a variant 
of the race. And because of that, that lets you have them at first level, uh, and yet it lets them have a concrete effect on the character. And uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with how they work. I got to say, I want to play uh, 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 no, a halfling with a mark of hospitality. Um, and some of them I'm definitely like, ooh, yeah, that actually I'm, I'm happier. Like one of the things I'll say with the, the mark of hospitality is in addition to the usual prestidigitation, uh, it also provides you with the ability to cast friends. Mm-hmm. And I like that with the idea that first off, it helps as a player character. This is a practical, useful ability. But even as a story perspective, it's the idea that they're just really good at talking to people. And of course, the thing about friends, people know you've used it on them after you've used it. So, you know, normally this is something that you use, you talk fast, you run away. Uh, but the point is, as long as people know they have it, if it's just the bartender, you can go talk to the bar and he just is such an easy person to talk to. And you know, he used the mark on you, but you know, he wasn't doing anything mean with it. You know that it's just, they're really easy to talk to. Uh, and so, as I said, it was sort of a fun little way to do that, that actually also makes the mark of hospitality about more than preparing food. Uh, and given that idea that part of what Galanda does is they know people, they know stuff that, that having that little, oh yeah, they're actually good at persuasion, uh, and good with friends in addition to preparing food, uh, was, it was sort of a way to make that character feel more like, oh, I can see a bunch of different kinds of, of characters. And that's one of the things in the Dragon Mark section too, is I give three examples, uh, two or three examples of each, each class. And that's the second thing I really like about having it is the way we've done it is because it separates out what we previously had with the idea of, are you a foundling? Are you part of the dragon marked house? Are you a dragon marked heir? Uh, now that's your background. So in other words, I make a halfling with the mark of hospitality and that's my sub race. But then that's the question is if I say I'm a noble, well, then that means I am, you know, uh, heir to one of the, the powerful families in the house and I'm a big deal in it. Uh, if I'm a guild artisan, then I'm just, you know, I work at it. Uh, um, I, I work at a gold dragon inn or, you know, something like that. I'm part of the house, but, you know, I'm just doing the job. Uh, and if I'm, say, a criminal or an urchin, then I'm the foundling who's either grown up outside of it, just making my way through the city, or as a criminal, I might have been kicked out, you know, and excoriated. And so I love the way that background and the race can intersect so that you can tell all these different kinds of stories. Um, and, and generally throughout the book, I'm always calling out, there's a lot of places where I talk about sort of just interesting ways to think about your background. If you are a criminal in Sharn, what does that mean? You know, how is that different from just being a criminal? Um, and so, as I said, I'm, I'm very happy with a lot of the ideas that came out of this. Uh, but I'm, of course, curious if you guys have other, other impressions, if uh, what you thought about any of that. Well, this is one of the things that you first <clears throat> showed us, mm-hmm. um, which was, I think, the mark of making. I think it was the first thing that we, we had all kind of chatted about and, and made comments on. And um, 
I know I, I, I went through a lot of the rule stuff and, and we talked mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. it, but this was probably the most, I feel like this is one of the most innovative things um, that someone has done uh, with fifth edition, because I feel that um, races is somewhere that, that you can do something like this, where you can introduce that. I think most people I have spoken to, um, except for a couple people uh, we, we discuss on different games, but they would have done this with feats. Um, almost every single person that that I've spoken to or I've seen said, we did this with feats. Um, some of them did it with um, a little bit with backgrounds. But most people like, yeah, you did it with the feat. We gave a bonus feat and you did this, this, and this. And by putting it into the races, you keep the balance mm-hmm. the exact same, but you add in the components like they're right away. Um and I know that you you talked to Jeremy Crawford actually about mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. some of this as well. And this was, it was just it was wonderful. It was just nice to be able to look at that and be like, oh, this is this is such an I and, and there's not a lot of like sometimes we say there's not a lot of space, especially when you create mm-hmm, a first level mm-hmm. character. But this was oh, so absolutely. innovative, like su- such a great way to to do this. And and I understand some people are not going to like it, um, but mm-hmm, personally, I, I absolutely adore it. I, this was this was a great. Uh, it was a it was really a pleasure to actually be able to, to go and comment be like oh this and how does that balance out and and, and whatnot and just looking at all the races that way and be like oh that that works perfectly and and it is you know the one thing it does mean is that you can't get a dragon mark after first level and that's a change but to me that's something that in the original lore was kind of an artifact of the fact that they were feats as opposed to a logical story thing that, you know, the idea was essentially it manifests according to stress early in life. And, uh, and, and basically if you want a mark to manifest at an unusual time, you can have an aberrant mark, which we do have and are feats. Uh, now I will say um, that this is something that that I, as I said, have been working with uh, Rudy Rutenberg, uh, Guild Adept, uh, on this. And there is a version, a feat-based version, uh, that will likely release in a, a later thing uh, just to explore that for those people who really want to be able to get a dragon mark at any point in life. Uh, but to me... That's a space that I feel is better filled with, if you want it late in life, get an aberrant mark. Um, and, and that to me, it's that idea of whether you're the urchin who developed it in the streets or whether you're the heir who developed it uh, through the test of Sybaris, that basically it makes sense to say that by the time you're adventuring, uh, if you're going to have the mark, you have the mark. So there's uh and, and there's there's two, two additional things I want to touch on with Dragon Marks mm-hmm. in particular. One, um, I think people who know Dragon Marks well enough will wonder, well, how did you handle human and half orcs for the market finding? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I thought that was really elegant how you handled that. And um, and uh, and that's another one that was a weird choice that I like, but some people probably won't. Uh, right. Which is we were already. These are both races that, and I think you can hear my cat purring. Uh, these were both races that don't have sub races. So it was already making them a variant. Mm-hmm. And part of the, the issue was well, a half orc's got to have dark vision 
So what's the human have to balance that? And, you know, I tried a lot of different versions. Oh, the human gets a skill or, you know, something like that. But ultimately what it came down to is this is a new race. And while we're saying you are a human or a half-orc who has developed this mark, uh, that the simplest way to approach it was to say, whether you're a human or a half-orc, the abilities you possess are actually similar. And so the idea was saying, half-orc, you got dark vision, because of course you got dark vision, you're a half-orc. But that as a human, the mark itself sharpens your senses. And basically, as someone with the mark of finding, you have dark vision. And so the main thing is we say, you choose whether you're a human or a half-orc. That is, first off, a cosmetic thing. What do you look like? Uh, how do you play the character? But that then also it does affect your ability score choice, you know, your ability score increase. Right. Uh, so half orcs are stronger, humans are faster. Um, but basically it was sort of making it a more minimal thing instead of designing two different versions of the mark. Uh, because ultimately the point is this is what a character with the mark of finding looks like. <laughs> the uh, the way I like to think of it when I, when, as I was reading that was um, – that uh, anyone with the mark of finding is actually technically, regardless of whether they're human or half work, a hybrid of the two in some form. And I, and I completely the, agree with that. That to me, it's it's what we're saying is you get to choose cosmetically. Yes, right. Or so, do you obviously have orc heritage or not? Or what? Right. But what genes are way, being expressed visually? Yeah, right. Like you know, you're predominantly yeah. human, but you still have this trait. You know, right. And, and to me, I think that's actually a very elegant way to look at it of that it's the only mark that appears on two different races mm -hmm. and a very easy way to look at that is no, no, it appears on half orcs. It just happens that it appears on half orcs who are so close to human that you don't notice that they're half orcs. Exactly. You exactly. know, and, 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 and I love yeah. that idea. Like that's, that's and really cool. that's what I'm going to say actually going forward that, that that's now uh, I'm, I'm stealing that awesome. uh, because I do think it makes sense. So, yeah. 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 So the other thing I was going to ask about is, uh, and, and I, I don't know if it's cause I, maybe I scrolled past and I just didn't, mm -hmm. I, I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing you know, front to it's, back. I'm it's sorry. I book. apologize. Uh, but, mm -hmm. uh, Sybaris marks, how do you, so Sybaris like marks are not in it. Mm -hmm. And that was a conscious choice. And, and, and basically what we have are greater marks. And essentially part of what I suggest with it is that if you're playing a dragon mark character, think about whether the mark is itself being expressed in some of your class abilities you know, that if you're a cleric with the mark of healing, rather than just thinking of it as the only thing the mark does for me is gives me this healing touch, think of it as potentially your clerical abilities are drawn from the mark, you know? So part of it is saying stretch the mark cosmetically. So rather than the strict least lesser greater that we had through the feet chain, I'm sort of saying the role of the lesser mark is played with the idea that your abilities will increase. So then the greater mark is a feat that you can choose to get if you're dragon marked. And, and that does provide substantial, you know, a substantial upgrade to your abilities. Um, because of that, Sybaris marks were previously a prestige class. And they were always a little weird because you couldn't take a Sybaris mark 
if you had a uh, had a dragon mark. And so first of all, the greater marks now kind of fill that space. It's something you take at a higher level that gives you a powerful ability that makes you an asset to your house. With that said, as I said, I'm working on some stuff uh, with Rudy, uh, and we are working on a thing that'll be, again, an unofficial uh, thing we released in the DMs Guild, uh, but a, a book that does include greater aberrant marks, since we only have uh, least aberrant marks in this book, and Sybaris marks. Uh, so you will see a version of Sybaris marks, as uh, as I would do them, that will be something I'm going to say in this version that that you can take them whether or not you have a, a, a dragon mark. So you can have them as a sort of manifest on their own, and that's sudden and exotic. But that uh, I I just feel they should they should be something that an heir can evolve as well. Um, and so as I said, that's coming. But Sibiris marks were something I did choose not to put in this book, just mm-hmm. because I felt greater were sufficient with the way we were doing it. Fair enough. I think one of the uh I think one of the things uh we've seen a lot of um obviously a lot of chatter um on Facebook mm-hmm. and whatnot and there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out I'm I'm sure that pe- people are chomping at the bit to to do that and I think it'll be very very fun going forward because mm-hmm. now we're not just talking about uh things in the past. Now, don't get me wrong, I understand that there's a lot of people out there you don't play Eberron in in, in 5th edition D&D um and for this, this may not signal anything really hugely significant to some of those people. Um, the people who do play it in D&D and have, a, have translated it, um, I think this will be a great resource. But even still, you may be like, you know what? I like my translation better. Not mm-hmm. a big deal. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. This is not a, this is not a, um, a, a wizard's uh, official product yet. That's right. Um, um, but uh, we'll definitely see that. But we're going to – we really liked – I really love this, this document just because it, it's – it's something I've been been waiting for. Obviously, I've I've, I've wanted to see this. I, I play a lot of D and love, um, I love I love fifth edition, um, but the the chance for everybody to put their ideas mm-hmm. um, online to share them in a in a context um, of the DMs Guild and and absolutely you know yeah have some of that stuff opened up is 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 going to be amazing and we're really looking forward i, I know i know why I, I am i'm really looking forward to seeing the people's ideas who are sparked by this particular right. document no I'll, absolutely and, I, and say, I, I, I agree completely uh just to to uh throw in thought i mean the one thing i'll say is that there's certainly a lot of things i'm looking forward to writing but i am likewise very excited that everyone's going to have the opportunity to explore it yeah I, I think there's gonna be a lot of little niche uh corners of everyone that um, like, like you said earlier, Keith, that Wizards of the Coast might not explore, but somebody right. else might. Um, I will say, though, I will say, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I see the words gear or programming anywhere <laughs> near the word Warforged, I will flip a table. <sighs> yeah, I'm just well, saying that. Yep. Anybody who's listening. Um, I, I have to throw out, because we mentioned Greater Dragon Marks, and I was saying before I want to play uh, a Galanda Halfling. Uh, I, I will say one of my favorite things is if you get the greater dragon mark, you can cast uh, Mordenkind's Magnificent Mansion once per mm. day. <laughs> and and I just love 
the idea of just being a halfling who basically just has my own magical mansion when I feel like having it. You know, that essentially you have a TARDIS. And whether it's going to be particularly useful to you in the game, I don't particularly care. But I love that I can be an urchin who, you know, has three copper pieces in my pocket. But I got a magic mansion, man. Uh, So I just want to be that character. It's pretty awesome. Um, I love, by the way, under races that you have a section uh, titled other races where you get into the non-typical, you know, traditional player races. Um, some of these have been explored in other 5e um, products as well. So it'll be cool to sort of, you know, for, for players to be able to have how do they fit or how can they fit into, mm-hmm. into Eberron. Well, and and some of it, like I have a little section on uh, just adding exotic races that aren't mentioned. And frankly, uh, some of that is straight off the things I've been posting on my website. So some of you who have been following uh, my website or here, uh, you know, will will recognize some of this stuff. Um, But I am very glad, again, you know, both of you are enjoying it. But to me, it is back to that. I... I really tried in writing it to make it something that this is about giving people ideas, you know, more than just being a traditional, uh, this is a source book, uh, cat, uh, then this is just a source book that just tells you about things. Uh, it's, it's very much about what can you do with this? How does this affect you? You know, and you mentioned earlier too about, um, you know, like particularly like with, with religion or, or just using this, this book as a product, as a opportunity to um, bring a little bit of, of evolution into how mm-hmm. things are perceived or, or how, how, you know, the game has evolved or how the setting has evolved, I should say. Um, I think this, this book is doing a fantastic job of, of distilling down the core essence of these concepts and these ideas Um even for example, back, you know, going back to the religion section, we talked about this in the religion episode of manifest zone, um, the blood of Vol, and mm-hmm. you start off right off the bat with, this is the common perception and it's wrong. And, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that's, that's solid. That is a really great way to, to sort of sweep away all those, those uh, misconceptions. And, and this is the point to me of, again, this is my, you know, sure. this is my Eberron. Yeah. If you want to have and like super necromancers that are terrorizing the world. That's the Emerald Claw. Congratulations. Right. You've got it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you know, it, it is something of, of making these, all of them are presented as this is how this makes sense yeah. to someone who follows it. Right. Uh, and it is funny because in writing the section on the Dark Six, part of the point is, it's exactly the same as the sovereign host. You just believe in different values. Right. <laughs> you know, but I mean, the concept of the cosmology behind it is basically the same. Uh, you know, these are forces that are everywhere that guide us, that shape, uh, shape the world. And it's just which ones are you choosing uh, to revere? Um, I do want to touch very briefly on the Sharn section. Yes. Yes. Just to talk about what that's about. Oh, my God. Uh, the goal again with the book was, you know, this does not replace Sharn City of Towers. Uh, that that that's out there. If you want a, a district by district breakdown, Sharn is a fantastic book, and I mention it in the uh, the appendix. Mm-hmm. So instead, the goal here was, I want you to feel like you can pick up this book, you can read it, and you could run an adventure in Sharn tomorrow. 
And you may not know all the details. You may not, you know, when you read uh, City of Towers, you may be like, oh, okay, I didn't know about that. But that it gives enough of a picture of the, you know, of the sense of the place that you could basically wing it. Um, And so it does, it talks about each of the main uh, quarters of the city and the flavor of each ward, each level. Um, But then it also... You know, it talks about the power groups, uh, but it also has three what I call starting points, mm-hmm. which is essentially this idea of saying, here is a location, here's interesting things that are there, uh, and here's sort of the theme that you might use in a campaign that starts in this place. And so we have Kalistan and Lower Dura, and that's one of the campaigns I'm running right now. Uh, so, so that was actually what gave me this idea is I'm like, well, I, it's, it's this, you know, this is what I'm using as my guidelines for this campaign. Uh, and that's a very dark, gritty, uh, noir sort of campaign. Um, Clifftop is at the top of Dura and is very much, it's got adventurers guilds. It's sort of the place that adventurers, you know, experienced adventurers use. And so that's a little more of let's dive straight into the Indiana Jones pulp adventure. You are adventurers that have reputations that people know about, and we're going to go straight into taking expeditions to Zendrick and things like that. And then the, the wacky third twist uh, is Morgrave University. And the idea there was to sort of explore a a campaign that could at the very least start with you as students at Morgrave and, uh, and sort of it's, it's coming of age in a fantasy world, you know, sort of blend together some of the tropes. And you see this in fantasy, like, for example, name of the wind, uh, you know, being able to play around with, you know, Morgrave has the advantage of this is a school that literally takes students onto field trips down into, you know, the Undercity or to Zendrick, uh, and and still play around with with some of those tropes. And so all three of those are things that I'm like, I want to play all of them, and one of them I already am. Um but I I hope that those seemed interesting to you. I think one of the things about this book, I, I don't, <clears throat> I, you guys will get to see it when you pick it up from DMs Guild, um, is that each section, um, everywhere that that Keith and, and Rudy have written stuff, um, there there's applications. It's not just, here's a description of Ondere, there's applications on how to use that. And the Sharn section obviously is, is it goes into the most detail in Sharn. Um, but those starting points, um, I had just kind of gotten to them uh, before we we had uh, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. started started doing the broadcast. Those are the fun things. Those are the things that are going to give that flavor. Um, and the whole thing about Eberron is you can, and we've said this before, you can run Eberron as a standard fantasy game with the lightning, with the train, and mm-hmm. and you know everyday magic. But the, those little fantasy points, those little story points, those little anecdotal points are are, are hopefully going to be uh, what what brings it uh, to to Eberron rather than you're just running mm-hmm. a traditional fantasy story. Um, I, I think I think we were uh, we were very privileged. We we got a chance to actually even add stuff uh, to this section. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. there's some some fun stuff at the back, right? Yeah, I was going to say, and that's how the the book sort of finally wraps up with uh, 
essentially three gigantic tables of random things you could see uh, traveling through Sharn. And part of the idea to me is if you're going a long way across Sharn, you're crossing three districts, you know, there is a section that basically says, eh, this is approximately how long that's going to take for you to get from Lower Dura to Upper Memphis. Uh, but that, you know, you want to get there. The adventure is going to be in Morgrave. We don't want to really waste a lot of time, but basically you can make three rolls on these tables and say, oh, along the way, you see a dragonborn street performer breathing fire. And then you bump into, you know, a warforged who's, uh, you know, looking for a new foot, you know, or whatever it is. And that, that those are things that can just be simple color. Or if you wanted, most of them are things that you could blow up into a a longer, more involved encounter. Uh, but all in all, it's 120 different uh, um, different ideas. I reached out to the the play testers and got a lot of good uh, good suggestions. And to me, as I said, that's just the thing. There's a lot of just little random things like that. Uh, it, the very end is is a essentially roll a sharn adventure. Uh, where, you know, there's a set of tables that is, okay, what's the first scene? Who's the villain? What's the plot? What's the the twist? And, you know, where do you have your finale? And, uh, and the idea was just, here's a a quick way. And it's funny because I did like, if you do the math, it's like, there are 4,000 adventure ideas or something (laughs) in here. Um, yeah, I, I geeked out when I saw that because uh, for long-time listeners know that I, I like Savage Worlds. A lot of Savage Worlds uh, settings uh, come with adventure generators that are very much like this. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, here's, here's the, you know, core event here, you know, villain, villain's motivations. Uh, here's what you're, you know, and it's just a series of tables where in the end you basically have just a basic structure for a whole adventure. And yeah. seeing that for Sharn, I was just like, yes, like that's, that's and, awesome. And as I say, that was sort of the point to me is, is there's no way in 30 pages that I can give you what you can get from the Sharn source book, but I can give you something you don't have in the Sharn source book, which is a random adventure table that mm-hmm. you can put together. Yeah. And, and all of this is just about, can I give you cool ideas, interesting story hooks, whether it's a player or de- uh, dungeon master. And I hope that I have. Yeah, you definitely did, man. And uh, and so we're, we're getting close to our, our end point here. And um, there's one more thing I want to mention in this book that I thought was absolutely fantastic. It's something that I always appreciated in the novels, and I'm happy to see it here. And it's the glossary. Hmm. The glossary yes. itself is for anybody who's just now getting into Eberron. If you want a quick reference for like, you know, what is this? What is that? That glossary is really good for that. So mm-hmm. big thank you for putting that in there. I think that's really uh, useful. You. You're welcome. It was tricky because it's always the question of how deep do you go? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically what I did do is uh, I kept it relatively high level. I include the names of the countries, but not of cities in part because if you start getting into cities, then again, Please I don't stop. mention all of the cities in this book. So do I only mention the capitals because those, you know, and, and there's sort of things like that where if you go too deep, it just becomes this gigantic wall of stuff. Sure, yeah. And so I tried to really sort of focus on the things that you're going to see Mage Rite. You're going to see Kalishtar. And you're just like, what was that thing again? 
you know, ideally the, if you, if you don't know Eberron at all, these are the, the unique words that, you know, dragon, what's the difference between a dragon mark and a dragon shard? Mm-hmm. Dragonborn, uh, but yeah, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, but but that that is very much you know again you know from my novels I, I like having it there and I do feel that it's a thing about fantasy we throw a lot of of random words at you uh, that it helps to have a reference and one of the things actually it's it's an interesting point I didn't include in the section on religion uh, a call out of all the individual sovereigns and members of the dark six. Mm-hmm. And I didn't because they're in the player's handbook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Appendix B of the player's handbook has the whole list. And if you do add them, it, it's a big chunk of stuff. Right. And so I don't, you know, call them all out by name in that religion section, but I do call them all out in the glossary because, you know, it is sometimes in Sharn. It's like, here's a shine, shrine to Baldry. And you might be like, who's Baldry again? And well, check the glossary. We got you covered. Yeah. There, there is one error that I spotted, and it's the uh, the definition mm-hmm. for manifest zone. Uh, it seems oh, a little, yeah, it's a little true. sparse. It said, yeah, that's a it podcast. Said popular, yeah. popular yeah. podcast. <laughs> right. uh, that's true. I'm, I'm embarrassed yeah. not to have. No, it's cool, that. man. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, this. Uh, is... But I think I said it was where magic leaks through into the world, and I think it does. It does. It's true. <laughs> no, that's cool. This is this is good stuff, man. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see this out in the wild. And, um, yeah, this is, yeah, this is, a it's a, it's a turning of an age for, uh, yes, for, yes, uh, it for is. 5e. I feel sad for all the poor quarry who are now being sucked in and re reshaped yeah. as we speak. I heard some of them got away in, in a mass exodus. <laughs> oh, dang yeah. it. We'll catch them. We'll catch them. Uh, that's what the war forged are for. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you, but, if, if at this point, uh, you haven't seen, um, if you haven't seen the book, I mean, there's some wonderful art in there. Um, definitely look on page. I, I believe this will be page like four or five. Um, <laughs> we're, we're looking at a copy without the index, right? So four or five. Uh, there is a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful picture of Keith. Um, I think this should be going on everywhere. <laughs> it is a, that that was yeah. uh, that was the work of my my friend Lee Moyer, uh, who designed the dragon marks uh, mm-hmm. as well. And and yeah, I should probably put it on a T-shirt for me, just so I can walk into Gen Con with you know my my face on a shirt. Yeah, but, at least uh, at least yeah, on a business is, card. This is, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a this is a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous piece. Um, I'm I'm so happy. You know, I, I'm I'm happy to do playtesting. Obviously, people know that. You know, uh, I, I got a chance to look at a lot of playtest stuff. Um, this is just a this is just a, a fun thing. I'm so glad it it's it's out there in the world. Uh, I'm so glad that everybody out there is getting a chance to experience. Um, you know not just through our mouths and you get to hear us once a month, um, mm-hmm. but to see Keith's vision of Eberron um, and just to, to, to know that your vision of Eberron is, is now in fifth edition. I mean, you, you've yeah, got something, and, you, something to throw together with it. And, and again, it is thrilling to me that also soon we'll see a lot of people's vision. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that again, uh, it is always one of those amazing things that there are so many people out there. Uh, exploring the world and creating stories in it. And I'm glad that, that other people will have the chance to, to share what they're doing. So Keith, I have one last question and, and I don't know how much about this you can say, is this something that wizards of the coast is going to be paying attention to for feedback? Oh, I definitely think they will. Okay. 
Uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I am again, not a wizard's employee, uh, but, but my opinion is that this is something where they're putting this out there both to see the reaction and see our people, do people want to see more Eberron? Uh, and if they do, it's definitely, they're going to be wanting to see how do, what do people think about this version of Dragon Marks? What do people think about, uh, you know, again, interpretations of the, the Kalistar or things like that. And so definitely, uh, you know, play it, share your opinions, share your experiences, mm-hmm, share mm-hmm. your alternate versions. Um, and fingers crossed that we see something official sometime. Yeah. Absolutely. Setting stuff. Man. I, I think, I think just so far on Twitter and Facebook alone, the, if they want to measure excitement and interest, They've already got a head start. So, you know. Well, as I say, I'm just super excited to be able to finally start digging into some of the things I've been wanting to explore Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. so long, like the planes, like Dro Amendacon. So, so I'm just very excited about it. Excellent. (laughs) And, and part of the reason I am excited again is because that's the point of the DMs Guild is it's not a question of is it official? You know, that again, if I do my version of the planes and you don't like it, that's fine. Right. Uh, and and you can do your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is something where I'm very excited to have it in the DMs Guild. So we have that kind of freedom yeah. uh, to for people to explore their own ideas. Right. And we, we just call those people heretics. That's fine. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true. They, they are heretics, but, you know, uh, but, but they're allowed to be heretics. That's part of Eberron is Eberron supports heresy. Is, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, not everybody has to be lawful good. Right. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, Keith, this is remarkable. Thank you for putting this out there. And um, well, yeah, this is, this is good stuff. Thanks, thanks to all of you guys for helping play test it and for keeping the spirit alive and thanks to everyone who's listening uh especially those who have been listening to the podcast in the past for for again either giving everyone a try or for uh for sticking with us uh over the years indeed indeed so with that in mind uh, be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show. We'll make sure that we have a link to this product also in our show notes, just to be clear. Yep. Uh, and um, you can, uh, yeah, as I said, find subscription to links to our show. You can post comments on the episode, find links to our Google plus Twitter and Facebook pages, whatever option you prefer. Let us know what you think of the show and let Keith know what you think of this yes. Wayfinder's mm-hmm. Guide to Eberron uh, and also let Wizards of the Coast know. Uh, yes, that too. Yeah, and uh, join us next time when we actually will talk about Halflings as <laughs> promised. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Until then, keep exploring. I, I do like... Oh, yeah. I do like the idea that that the Halfling episode will be episode 12 because this, while it's technically our 12th episode, is the mysterious lost episode. Yes. Because mm. if you've got a dozen things in Eberron, you got to have another one that's that's mysteriously bad. Well, it, it's just appropriate to number it 13. So <laughs> we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. Almost like we All planned right. it. <laughs> Almost like we planned it. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you again, gentlemen. And uh, until next time, keep exploring.